I want to bite your face. No, please don't. I want to push you over. Okay, you can do that. I love you too much. Aw. I want to run you over. Mm, I've had that happen before. I don't like it. I want to go everywhere with you. I, I agree. I want to share underwear with you. Oh, I agree. Oh, God. <laughs> I want to bite your face. Okay. I've come around. <laughs> that is Eve 6. I want to bite your face. Probably a song about Eve, Eve six. 6. Yep. So if you haven't listened to Grim Value, please do. Please. Please do. Also, tell him that we're promoting them. <laughs> yeah. Somebody tweet at him. Tell him I'm a radical lefty, too. Well, that was my intro. Also, go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, because uh, once we hit 100, we're going to give away a t-shirt. Yes, and maybe some other stuff. Maybe some other stuff, apparently. <laughs> News to me, but I'm, I'm on board. I'm wearing the t-shirt right now. I know. It's, it's, a, it's really nice. It's, it's nice. quality. Comfy. All right, let's get into the show. Oh, you quit. Let's quit wasting time. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Greetings, listeners, domestic, <laughs> international, and extraterrestrial. I am Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. In fact, the moment I saw this image, I remembered it. Hey! <laughs> the Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X-Files, spoiler free. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Eve. And I have a new favorite episode. <laughs> I was going to ask, how did you like this episode? But I guess you've already covered it. <laughs> it originally aired December 10th, 1993. Viewership of 10.4 million people. It was directed by Fred Gerber and written by Kenneth Biller and Chris Brancato. And I think we're going to see these three again. I hope we're going to see these three again. I do too. Because I have a new favorite X-Files episode. Yeah, this one was really good. This one edges out ice for me. It's a tough call, but the twists in this one were solid. They kept, it kept me guessing the whole time, and that's the first time in the whole series that it's done that. To be fair, we knew how Ice was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> Which was really well done, but we knew the story. IMDb and Hulu had the same description. Mulder and Scully searched for two missing girls who disappeared after their fathers were murdered in an identical fashion. Very good description. Yes. We have had a couple that are just like, what? This one covers it. So we open up in Greenwich, Connecticut. And the very first thing that I notice is a guy burning leaves in the road. Yeah, that was pretty weird. I've never actually seen anybody do that in real life. I wanted to look it up and we after we watched the last episode, but then we just started recording, so I didn't. Is that a thing you're allowed to do? Wouldn't you need a burn barrel? Uh, we, we always did it in the backyard. Just in the backyard or did you have a burn barrel? Uh, just in the backyard. What? <laughs> yeah. Is this because I live in the South and it's too hot and dry? I guess. But Whoa. yeah, in the Midwest, that's that's how we do it. You just during the fall, you any neighborhood you go through at any given moment smells like burning leaves. Whoa, that's Whoa. so weird. I if it is, I don't know because that seems normal to me. Okay, it's unusual for me. I guess it's not weird. Sort of like how now when I go to the Midwest and I go to a parking lot, it's weird to not hear seagulls. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. All right, so we're in Connecticut, and we see a little girl standing in a driveway looking scared, and she's holding a rabbit. 
two joggers come to check on her. She tells them that her dad needs time to himself. They go find the dad, who's sitting facing away on the swing set. He's dead. Ghost white, hazed eyes, two puncture marks on his neck. Yeah, it's funny that you say she looks scared because she didn't look scared to me. She just looked like she was standing at the edge of her own driveway. And I wondered, why do these joggers feel compelled to go talk to this little girl? She's just standing on her own property. Okay, note. She was supposed to look scared. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That makes more sense. Uh, And also, immediately you're like, when you see the dad with the two puncture marks, vampire? Right. Huh. And you say ghost white, but like, there's a very clear line where they put the makeup on to make him look, not even dead, because dead people don't look like that. No. I made him <laughs> look like the Martian ghost face. It was supposed to be ghost white. His eyes were hazed, though. Well, good job on that. <laughs> so the next scene is the FBI headquarters. Scully and Mulder are in their office. Mulder is looking at slides. Yay, slides! <laughs> Scully says the guy died from blood loss, death by hypovolemia, 75% blood loss. That's over four liters of blood. Four out of six liters of blood, just... Down not, the drain. Not, not down the drain this time, like in the bushes or something. <laughs> right, we don't know where it went. His eight-year-old daughter, Tina, was with him with the exception of about 10 minutes and has no memory of what happened. So that's basically the scene as they know it from before. And the little girl's name is Tina. Mulder mentions any evidence was probably washed away by yesterday's rain, which is interesting because four liters of blood? That's a lot of blood. It's so much blood. That's two two liters worth. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you. It's a good visual. It actually is. Yeah. (laughs) Laugh at me, but that was helpful. He mentions cattle mutilations. Yes, and I was so glad to hear him mention cattle mutilations because it gave me an opportunity to debunk all of those cattle mutilations. Okay, let me say why he's mentioning them here in relation to this, and then you can tell us why none of that's real. Beautiful. So basically, with cattle mutilations, the jugular is punctured, and the heart pumps the blood out of the body. People do it to cows. They, When they do it, they puncture the neck and usually the sexual organs. And this is the first time Mulder has seen it in a human. He calls it exsanguination, which is the act of the heart pumping the blood out of the body. And I just said, cool, cool, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. So in the real life, quote unquote, cattle mutilations, there are never the puncture marks on the neck. It's just the genitals and the eyes and the tongue have been removed. And they say with surgical precision because the same reason they say above average intelligence. There's no way to measure the precision of (laughs) any of this. It's just a mutilated animal. It's just a dead animal whose soft tissue has been quote-unquote removed. You know, the parts that carrion go for first. Right. Exactly. And the blood loss, and we can't explain the blood loss. Yeah, you can. It got eaten. It's dead. It's a dead thing. It's a dead animal that got eaten by carrion. And And no one's figured that out? No, tons of people have figured it out. But if you want to believe in aliens, you look at this and say, oh, see, this is weird. And no, it's really, really not. I don't look into cattle mutilations because it just makes me sad. Well, I, for for some reason, don't believe in anything otherworldly or supernatural, but I love to hear about it. Yeah. All right. Mulder suggests aliens. Something about the X-Files is showing that it's alien related. And Scully says, Mulder, why would alien beings travel light years through space in order to play doctor on cattle? And Mulder says, for the same reason we cut up frogs and monkeys. Besides... 
they seem to have stepped up their interest. And I'm going to disagree with Mulder here. We do not travel light years. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of go grab something that's just hanging around. Yeah. So it seems whatever. And to any being that could travel light years like that, they would look at us the same way we look at like a chimpanzee when they use a stick to get termites. Yes. And we go, oh, look, that's cute. Oh, look, it's using a tool. How primitive. (laughs) Wow. Oh, it's coming along. (laughs) So our next scene is in Fairfield County Social Services Hospital in Greenwich, Connecticut. Tina is being held at the facility. Her mother died of ovarian cancer two years ago. What is this? Disney? No. (laughs) Dead mom? You thought I wasn't going to say anything? Sigh. Tina hasn't spoken a word, and Mulder asks the caretaker about nightmares, but since Tina hasn't spoken, nobody knows anything. Scully asks to speak with Tina, and as soon as she starts asking questions, Tina starts speaking. So what did social services do? They just put her in the room. She hasn't said a word because we haven't asked (laughs) her any questions. We we didn't try to get her to. All right. Mulder asks about strange sounds or lights or anything else. And did you know when interrogating children, you have to end questions with or anything else or it's invalid in court? Really? That is strange and interesting. And why? To keep it open-ended. Okay. So was, did you hear any lights or sounds? Or anything else. So they don't just think about lights and sounds. Okay. Maybe they'll think of smells or temperature changes. I don't know. All right. I read a lot. I cannot remember where that source came from, but it is (laughs) in my head. So Tina also talks to Mulder. So this girl that they've had for 24 hours who hasn't said a word is just fine talking to two adults. If you ask her questions, she will answer. There was red lightning, which made you show me a sports thing after the episode. (laughs) Anybody who knows red lightning, you thought the exact same thing. Tina tells them the men from the clouds were after her dad. They wanted to exsanguinate him, and she uses that word, which is interesting for an eight-year-old. Scully takes a call, and there has been another murder, very similar or the same as Tina's dad. Now, this is why we watched twice, because this scene was very, very interesting to me the second time, after knowing what we know for the whole episode. I asked you, is she reading his mind? I don't know. Because she's giving him clues that say, this was aliens. But it wasn't, and how would she know to try to get him to think that it's aliens unless she's reading his mind? That's a good question. I don't know, because it does it come up again, mind reading? No. The the link between the two girls. But they just know. But they just know. And it's it's not like they're talking to each other or reading each other's thoughts. No. So I feel like there's another instance where Cindy maybe says something. Maybe we'll get to it. I think Cindy does it too, where she says something basically one of the adults has already said. But it's unclear. It's either really interesting that they had written it and something had to get cut out and they didn't backtrack on the rest of it. Yeah. Or this is just a weird plot hole. (laughs) Well, we don't know. Marin County, California. So basically the exact same thing has happened at the exact same time at a different location. Scully says, it appears we have two serial killers working in tandem and all our true crime listeners will know this, but for the rest of you, Mulder breaks it down. No, serial killers seldom work in pairs. And when they do, they kill together, not separately. Makes a lot more sense that way. 
Now we're at Fairfield County Social Services Hostel. Did it say hostel? Probably. It's just after midnight. There's a storm outside, thunder and lightning. Tina is in bed. She's holding her stuffed bunny. She looks at the window and gets out of bed. She checks through the window and in the door, which is a round porthole looking thing, <laughs> like they're on a cruise ship or something. Yeah, that's pretty weird. It's just interesting. She pushes a chair in front of the door and uh, someone on the other side of the door is trying to break in. Tina hides under her bed. Someone enters the room. She tries to make a break for it, and a figure grabs her arm. This is all just a quick scene. We hear Tina scream. The social worker rushes in, and Tina is gone, and her rain-drenched bunny is all that's left. It's that whole scene. So now Tina's been kidnapped, and the next day we're at the Reardon house. Mulder and Scully knock on the door while discussing Tina's abduction. Human, not extraterrestrial, depending on who you ask. <laughs> right. Tina answers the door, but twist, it isn't Tina. It's Cindy Reardon who answers questions like normal people. Mulder, you live here, Cindy? Ever since I was born, eight years ago. Such a weird way to answer that question. <laughs> Such a strange way to answer that question. You don't answer the door that way when somebody delivers food or a package. You're not like, they don't say, David, you don't go, I've been here for... Two years, eight months, and 14 days. I yell that to them as they're walking away because they haven't stuck around to talk to me. Oh. And I just yell, my name's David Reed. <laughs> I've lived here all my life. <laughs> Ever since I was born. Seven years ago. No wonder they leave. They're trying to get away in a hurry. I would also be. Later, also at the Reardon house, Mulder and Scully are watching Cindy watch TV. Cindy changes the set from an annoying cartoon to an annoying political channel. <laughs> She's very interested in Governor William Weld stumbling over his words talking about how this bill is going to be henceforth referred to as... Yeah. And I never caught to the end of it. It probably was nothing. He was saying all of the words, but saying nothing at all. And then Mulder and Scully interrogate a grieving widow about her child. Do you want to be Mulder, Scully, or Miss Reardon here? Oh, okay. Um, I'll be Miss Reardon. I feel like I can bring range to that. Okay. And now for Cast Files Theater. So Mulder, is she an only child? Mrs. Nods. Mrs. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Reardon nods. Scully, may I ask, was Cindy adopted? No, I gave birth to her at San Rafael General. So, I assume you have all the proper documentation. Birth certificate... Of course I do. Was she the only child delivered at the birth? That was Cast Files Theater. You don't have the rest of it. No, because these questions made me furious. Also, Mrs. Reardon answers questions the same way Cindy does. I gave birth to her at San Rafael Hospital. <laughs> Eight years ago. I carried her for the full term, which is almost 10 months. I was in labor for X amount of hours. Yeah. These are the medications that they gave me while I was in labor. <laughs> the reason that this would make me furious is if two people... Okay, so I'm a grieving widow and something horrific has happened. It's not... We don't want to rank deaths, but this is something horrific. Her husband's blood was drained out of his body at home. Murder is bad. Murder by vampire, pretty bad. <laughs> so this is the day after and they're and they're like are you sure this kid is yours <laughs> i feel like get out of my house what is this <laughs> do you have riley's birth certificate i literally made him inside my body did you make more <laughs> is that the only one you made that day <laughs> just be like you ugh. 
And so without warning, it just gets worse. Mulder shows Mrs. Reardon a picture of her daughter on a grown-ass man's shoulders. <laughs> and when she asks if this is the man who murdered her husband yesterday, <laughs> and did he hurt Cindy, they finally tell her that the picture is Tina with Tina's father, not Cindy with some freaking creep. When she asks, is this who did it, Scully steps in, and that's why the tone changes. Yes. Ugh. In infuriating this whole scene but i'm furious about how this all goes down i do not think it would have occurred any differently so good job writers yeah Mulder and scully leave as they should have a while ago and Mulder wants to keep an eye on cindy scully is going to the clinic to see what they can find out about the in vitro program because mrs reardon mentioned that yes the child, Cindy, was conceived through in vitro for us. Yes, she said that they had tried for six years before trying in vitro fertilization, which just sounds awful. Yeah. And then, okay, remember, Mrs. Reardon and her husband tried for six years prior to in vitro fertilization, which did take, which is not a small situation. It's really hard on the woman because of all the hormones and the treatments and the testing and everything. Is that why she's acting like such an asshole in this scene? She, she is not. <laughs> <laughs> She is not acting. She is so mean to my man. Oh, he needs to get out of there with that that strange man touching her daughter. But remember how much they wanted Cindy, and remember how much they have gone through to get her. Just remember. Okay, I'll I'll remember. I will just sit here remembering that, not speaking until you tell me this is the time to remember. Thank you. Okay. At Luther State Center for Reproductive Medicine. There's another doctor-patient confidentiality discussion. And Scully says, there's a dead guy, so maybe that overrides your policy of IVF patients from 10 years ago? Why? (laughs) Also, both of the parents are dead, so kind of maybe. They're not protecting anybody at this point. Everybody's dead. Oh, oh, do you think Cindy's mom's going to get ovarian cancer? Interesting. Do you think that's a side effect? Uh, I'm going to go no, because they don't bring it back up but it's, it's an interesting thought for sure hmm. she does find out about a doctor who was practicing eugenics in the clinic yeah which again cool 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 good old eugenics that's dr kendrick so yikes scully is watching the ivf commercial of dr kendrick explaining this the procedure explaining the clinic and her background and then going to for the next 30 minutes explain how ivf works which <laughs> I feel like that's really long, but I have no idea. I have no idea how long it should be. We zoom into the TV, and when we zoom out, we're in Mulder's hotel room. And I really liked that shot, that transition. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was really good. So now we're in the hotel room. We learn that Dr. Kendrick was the supervising physician in both Reardon's and Simmons's IVF programs. It seems she was experimenting at the clinic. I'm excited for a mad scientist lady. (laughs) This show hasn't had a mad scientist yet. It hasn't. And that's always, I I enjoy a mad scientist. The phone rings. Scully answers it, but says it's just clicks. No one was there. Mulder says he's tired and wants to pick up in the morning. He looks just completely sketchy this whole time. (laughs) It's just clicks. Hey, Scully, you gotta go. Yes. He hurries Scully out of the room. She asks if a girl is coming over. And he says, what's a girl? (laughs) Wow, your Duchovny is better than mine. He said it in that kind of a tone. It was <laughs> it was very weird. And then he goes out to meet Deep Throat. At Bathroom the, troll. At the he meets him at the pier, which I was also wondering, 
when did they get together to plan this out? So he'll call, there's going to be three clicks, and then they're going to meet at the pier because it was just all... I get that Mulder would know immediately, oh, your phone's being tapped. Who do I know that wants to keep tabs on me? It's the bathroom troll. I thought it was a signal, not a phone tap. That's what it sounds like when your phone's tapped. How many times has your phone been tapped? Mine? Ooh, when, back when I had a landline, constantly. <laughs> Why? I, I am a... I am a mysterious individual. Oh. I am a I am an enigma to be unwrapped. Inside a burrito. <laughs> Inside of a uh, yes. Great way way to build on that. <laughs> My yes and skills are fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Mulder is 100% eating sunflower seeds while Deep Throat provides exposition. Yes, and he's just digging them out of his coat pocket. Yeah, he's always just digging them out of his coat pocket. Okay, this I have not noticed this only a handful of times, and I never noticed where he got them from. In the first one in Squeeze... He's holding them. In Squeeze, he's holding a bag of them. And then in... The next time I noticed is uh, episode 9, Space. He's sitting on the steps eating one but i never saw where he got it from and it took me forever to figure out that's what he's doing because he eats them like a freak oh one at a time and only one and and... it looks like he's picking at his teeth it does so that's why it took me forever to figure out that that's what he's doing is he's eating sunflower seeds because he eats them like a weirdo (laughs) i don't like it and i don't like where you get them from i you, you have a lot of feelings about his sunflower seeds i used to eat sunflower seeds constantly why because they're good I can only imagine eating full sunflower seeds at a Little League park. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I, that's where I picked it up from was my dad would play softball when I was a kid. Okay. And just, you take a little, at the time, palm full because I was a tiny kid. You put all of them in your mouth. Ugh. And you take one, you just take one, and they're salty, so you suck on them a little bit. And you take one, put it on the other side of your mouth, crack the shell, get the seed out, spit the shell. I think maybe you eat them like a freak. No, that's how you eat sunflower seeds. Oh, God, I'm never buying sunflower seeds. I'm continuing to never buy sunflower seeds. Now they make them in all kinds of cool flavors. Back when I stopped eating them, they had barbecue. And now now there's probably honey sriracha and all kinds of stuff. I do not like barbecue. Eat David's sunflower seeds. Recommended by the cast files. (laughs) Only half of the cast files. This is an unpaid advertisement. <laughs> of a, a mis- mystery company. Not a mystery company. A, uh, it's a shell company. Ah! <laughs> Good job. I was going to cut all of that out. <laughs> till you made it worthwhile. So this whole scene is exposition, so I'm just going to go through it real quick. But it gives us the backstory. He does get to be mysterious for a little bit, though. He does. So Deep Throat is saying, well, it was the most interesting project. Highest level of classification. All records have since been destroyed. And those who knew of it denied knowledge of its existence. It existed during the height of the Cold War. Because, of course, it did. It's 1993. You're barely out of the... uh, (laughs) Height of the Cold War was four years ago. (laughs) And everything... In these types of shows, it's like, the Cold War. (laughs) Russians! Russia! (laughs) We got wind the Russians were fooling around with eugenics. So we decided to also fool around with eugenics. Yeah. Which isn't actually what he says, but come on, that's what's happening. Rather primitively, I might add. (laughs) Trying to crossbreed top scientists, athletes, to come up with a superior soldier. Naturally, we jumped on the bandwagon. Okay, so he did admit it. 
good. A group of genetically controlled children raised and monitored in a compound in Litchfield. The boys were called Adam. The girls were called Eve. There's a woman you should see, and I'll make sure you can get in. This is also what they did with the X-Men children in Logan. Oh, yeah. Well, because mutants were already a thing, and they were stealing mutant DNA to create more mutant children that they could control. Yeah, that's basically... It's... Eugenics is a tale as old as time. I mean, a song as old as rhyme. Uh, I could take you a brand new world. Beauty and the Beast. A whole new world. It makes sense, though. Okay, so at the end of Fallen Angel, last episode, you find out that Bathroom Troll is working against Mulder while working with him. Yes. Now, if he's actually working against Mulder, it makes sense zero sense to send him out to that crashed spaceship. Because Mulder never would have found out about it. And you could keep him buttoned up and keep him knowing what you want him to know. Mm -hmm. So that's why I don't think either it's poor writing or Bathroom Troll's not working against Mulder. He's just telling that dude what that's what he's doing. This case, though, Mulder's already out there doing stuff. So it makes sense for him to come and give him information that he wants him to know. Yeah, I agree. He, I can help you with this to keep you distracted from this. Yes. So for this episode, it fits that narrative. Last episode, absolutely not. Okay, interesting. We'll see how this this pans out. So where Deep Throat sends them is Whiting Institute for the Criminally Insane. They go to see Eve Six. Buckle up. <laughs> the guard who walks Mulder and Scully to her cell hands them a flashlight. Why? Because Eve Six screams and screams if they turn on the overheads. No one's ever got a good look at her. What a power move. Yeah, <laughs> screaming anytime the lights are on. I love it. I love <laughs> making their job just a little bit harder in any way possible. You've yeah. got me locked in here for how long? And they had to do that to make the very end make any sense whatsoever. Yes. Meanwhile, we can see her fine the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting, I know that there has been complaints about and, and criticisms rightly so, about how dark the X-Files is just in general. Rightly so. Whatever. I understand. But this scene, everybody is lit just fine. You can see everybody. Well, it's because Mulder and Scully got the flashlights. (laughs) You can see Mulder and Scully just fine, too. They're very good flashlights. They're they're doing the haunted flashlights. I'm the leprechaun. (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna get you. You're after me, but I go. (laughs) That's exactly what they do. It's weird. It's out of place, but... (laughs) When you have a big, nice flashlight, you have to light under your chin and say something spooky. Mulder and Scully go in to find... Dun, dun, dun! (laughs) Sally Kendrick. One of them, at least. Ooh! So here's a side note about Eve Six, because how could we mention Eve Six and then not mention Mention Eve Eve Six? The band's final name is a reference to the X-Files. They went through a variety of names as they were coming up. As bands do before they get famous. Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Do you think that's who they were? (laughs) Those were their previous names? Those were previous names, yeah. Wow. Faganson was a fan of the show and suggested the name after seeing the episode entitled Eve, which included a character who went by the name of Eve Six. That's where we are. The band issued a self-titled Eve Six album in 1998 which attained platinum success with hit singles Inside Out and Leech. The former capturing the number one spot on modern rock charts, spending several weeks at the top 10 of MTV's Total Request Live, and crossing over successfully to Pop Top 40 Radio. I can see the album cover vividly in my mind. I had it. I probably have it upstairs somewhere. (laughs) 
So, you know, they did great. Eve 6 wants them to cut her chains off. Mulder refuses, saying they're probably there for a good reason. And she says, no, a bad reason. I paid too much attention to a guard. Bit into his eyeball. I mean it as a sign of affection. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure that's how he took it. How do you bite into someone's eyeball if it's still inside their head? Oh, in a minute, she says what the eaves are, why the eaves are different, and how they're different. And one of the things is they are stronger. Mm-hmm. So I think she bit into the guy's occipital lobe, crushing his skull and pulling his eyeball out. Ow. Oh, I think she has jaws like a goblin shark. Ooh. <laughs> I hope they come back and show us that. Which I wanted to have another side note about Eve 6, because they have a new song called I Want to Bite Your Face. Oh, that's right. We we listened to that last night, didn't we? And here are the first set of lyrics. I want to bite your face. I want to push you over. I love you too much. I want to run you over. I want to go everywhere with you. I want to share underwear with you. I want to bite your face. (laughs) And so... I've decided in my timeline and my canon that this song is written for Eve 6. Oh, it has to be. I want to bite your face. And it's a sign of affection. Yeah. Yeah. He was probably listening to our podcast (laughs) and re-watching The X-Files. Saw that. I was like, "Ah, I'm writing a song. That's probably exactly what happened. So thanks, guys. Mulder asks about the other Adams and Eves. I completely missed what happened to the Adams, but Eve 7 escaped early on and Eve 8 escaped a while back. They are also prone to suicide. Did you catch what happened to the Adams? Did they all kill themselves? When they ask her that question, she lifts the arms of her straight jacket up. Like, that's her answer. This is what happened. Ah, okay. Okay. The Eves have extra chromosomes. She lists off, like, 12, which cause heightened strength. There you go, with the jaws and the goblin shark. shark. Uh, Higher intelligence and psychosis. Above average intelligence. That's what I was about to say. Ah, sorry. So another monster of the week with above average (laughs) intelligence. But, I mean, this one they give them, they explain why. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, they do. And the one Sally Kendrick can create clones. So So this one tracks. Yeah. Sally Kendrick was working at the IVF clinic, the Litchfield Project, to clone herself. And Eve 6 was a prisoner being tested on. So we find out where each of the Eves are and how they're crossing over. And Sally Kendrick was, again, as a reminder, the woman from the video and also the doctor for the two girls. So just to kind of recap, because it's been a little while. Now we're at the Reardon house. Sydney is saying the Lord's Prayer before bed. Her mother tucks her in, and she has a rabbit just like Tina's, only Cindy's rabbit's a little bit more brown. Ah, okay. So unlike the girls, you can tell the rabbits apart. <laughs> Outside the house, in the car, Mulder and Scully discuss how the two remaining Eves, the ones who escaped the experiment, are killing off the parents to keep Tina and Cindy in the family. Inside Cindy's room, her closet glows like a Monster's Ink monster is probably coming through her door. And they never come back to why her closet door was glowing. I assume she has one of those pull string lights in there, and it's just very powerful. Just the brightest just a 100-watt bulb inside her closet. <laughs> like a 10,000-lumen light bulb. Yikes. Also, when they're in the car talking, Scully says that she was starting to suspect the girl. That's right. And Mulder corrects her and says, no, they're the older Eves are killing the people to do something. He's 0 for 2 on yes. his theories this, this episode. Yes, he is. And this is why bad guys, monsters of the week, always target Scully because she's the smart one. She is the smart one. She's the brains 
He's the looks. <laughs> well, she's very attractive, too. We've got two very attractive people. So it, they go into the, inside the house. Oh, because the light in the closet and stuff's happening. And obviously something's happening in Cindy's room. Inside the house, someone knocks out Scully. It's like Scully is a doll and they hit her off switch. They basically bump into her back and she hits the ground and she's off. It is It is very much like that. She is more knockoutable than Rupert Giles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, the amount of concussions these folks have. <laughs> I thought Rupert Giles got knocked out way too many times. Scully is twice in 11 episodes now. Maybe three times. I don't, I can't quite remember. Mulder's thrown around like a rag doll. Yeah, but he's always okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> he recovers instantly. That's true. Glass over the head, fine. Knocked into empty cardboard boxes, doesn't even really leave his feet. Mulder goes around the outside of the house. He finds Eve carrying Cindy out of a busted glass door. It's a door. I'm assuming she could have just jiggled the handle and opened it, but they bust through the door. Mulder tells her to stick him up, and she points a gun at Cindy. Mulder says, which one are you, Eve 7 or Eve 8? I said, more like Eve 9 millimeter. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> ah, I'm clever. Yes, you did. Uh, she gets Mulder to put his gun down. Scully's still knocked out in the house. They get away in a car that was hidden down an alleyway, which I also find amazing. So I've never lived in... I've only lived in the Midwest for three years, and it was just a regular suburb. So I've never lived anywhere where there were just alleys in the neighborhood, like <laughs> regularly. It's fascinating to me. You're just going to walk down this alley? There's just alleys? Yeah. In your neighborhood? In urban areas, yeah. I mean, I guess, it makes sense in the city. That makes sense. I've never lived in a high-rise in a city either. It's not abnormal to me because I, I grew up around that sort of thing. I'm just thinking, because they're definitely in a neighborhood... But it's like you use the alleyway to drive into wherever your garage is or something instead of having the garage in the front of the house. Which actually is a better idea because garages in the front of the house are ugly. Yep, it's exactly what it is. Hey there everybody, Kristen here. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Whether it's your first time or you've been with us since the pilot, we always appreciate you spending some time with us. Are you a podcaster that wants to cross-promote? Send me an email with your promo at thecastfiles at gmail.com that's T-H-E-E, castfiles, at gmail.com. Now, I'd like to play a promo from Infectious Groove. Hey, this is Russ. This is Kyle. This is Michelle. From, from the Infectious, Infectious Groove podcast. podcast. Join us every Monday for the most fun you can have with a music podcast. The Infectious Groove podcast uses a positive and fun approach as we take time every week to share our jammy jams, then dig into a thought-provoking topic discussing all decades and genres of music. You can find the Infectious Groove podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can head to infectiousgroovepodcast.com to find us there and subscribe we might have a controversial opinion here or there but we always have fun with it oh, i'm sure i'll say something dumb subscribe to the infectious groove podcast part of the odd pods media network cindy's mother is worried for her daughter and that's basically the end of the scene but remember that too so add that to what you're remembering from earlier okay i'm remembering that ivf is complicated and this woman went through it and she went through it after six years of trying to have a baby and that was really hard and she really wanted Cindy. Yes. And now she's worried about now, her daughter. She wanted Cindy, and she's worried about Cindy. Yes. Good. You're I'm tracking. I'm remembering that now. Good. They're at, I wrote P.T. Reyes National Seashore, and I'm not sure if it's port or point. I have no idea. They're at a motel north of San Francisco. Eve takes Cindy inside the motel to meet Tina, and they aren't surprised to see each other at all. No, they smile creepily. 
They do smile briefly. I feel like I would probably recover okay, but if somebody was like, oh, here, meet Susan. And I looked at her and I was like, man, you look real familiar because we look the same. <laughs> I feel like there would be a moment where I was like, this is odd. Okay. Nope. They have no this is odd moment. What would you do if you met your clone? You'd be best friends, wouldn't you? Uh, probably. What's really odd about this is today I listened to the Buffering the Vampire Slayer episode about the one where Xander gets doubled. Which one is that? I don't even remember. And season 5, episode 3, he gets hit with a beam that makes two Xanders and one with his best qualities and one with his worst <laughs> qualities. Yeah, I just happen to be on that episode of that podcast today. And so... And now we're dealing with it here. More twins or duplicates, I guess. Uh, yeah, are you just a duplicate? <laughs> in this episode or in Buffy? In this episode. This episode, they're both clones. Do you still get to be twins that way? No, they're just the same person. But they have they would still have slightly different mannerisms, the nature-nurture situation. Yeah, you get the how everybody... Like, as soon as they're separate, they kind of... So I guess I was wrong in saying they're the same person. Right. Because as soon as you're split... You're experiencing things different. Yeah. And one is a better actor than the other. Very clear. <laughs> so they aren't the same. Long tangent, but they aren't surprised. Now we're back at the Reardon house and we see the investigation because Cindy has been abducted from her house. The car has been reported found at the airport and the manager of the motel that they just arrived at is a snitch. Hey, he's going to get a stitch. <laughs> just one. At the motel again, Sally Eve is telling the girls that she's been keeping an eye on them. She was dismayed when they developed early. Psychotic behavior usually exhibits at 16, and homicidal behavior comes out around 20, normally. She was hoping to have worked out the kinks by the time they got to Cindy and Tina. But instead of working the psychosis and homicidal behavior out... They basically moved it up and enhanced it, which is fascinating. Sally Eve asks how the girls knew what they were going to do and when they were going to do it and all of this and how they were going to do it. And they say, we just knew. They give the creepiest twin answer. Yes. Uh, just knew. The girls murdered their fathers because they weren't their fathers. At the exact same time. Yep. In the exact same manner. And, and when asked, how did you know when to, how to coordinate it? They just we knew. We just knew. They say they weren't born, they were created, which is incorrect because we know that Cindy's mother gave birth to her. She was born. At San Rafael Hospital. Right. <laughs> At 4.42 in the PM. <laughs> Sally Eve says, you cannot think that way. You're human beings. Different, special, but you cannot give in to genetic destiny, which is a weird phrase. That's why I've taken you. I was raised by a man who knew what I was. He was a genetic engineer on the project. With the proper environment and a program of long-term medication, you can become like me and not the other Eves. She is visibly deteriorating during this quote, <laughs> which is why I read it that way. She starts shaking. She actually grabs the table and starts just like banging it into the ground. And the way that the little girls are looking at her, I thought for a minute that they were doing it with their minds. I did too, actually. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one who was led that direction. I, I thought that because it was just after we just knew. They, were, they just did the, I almost said the psychedelic connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I was, I was listening to 
I was listening to The Gloom today, and there's some <laughs> psychedelic connections along with some of the other stuff, so check that podcast out. It turns out that Cindy and Tina have poisoned her drink with four ounces of foxglove. just seems like a lot of foxglove. It's a lot of anything. I mean, you're right. It just, four ounces is quite substantial. Do you want to tell everybody how much that is? Is it like two five-hour energy shots? It's four shots of... It's four shots. That's true. When Sally Eve asks why, they say, You tell us. You made us. We're your mistake. And Sally Eve grabs the knife and says, I'll correct my mistake. Pretty cool line if uh, she got to do anything about it. Yes. Mulder and Scully have arrived, so we're outside the motel right now, and there's a crash. They hear a crash from the motel where they're all trying to decide who goes in and does what or whatever. Someone's escaping the motel. They rush in and find Sally Eve on the floor, dead. The girls are cuddled together in the corner. They say that they were all supposed to drink the poisoned soda, but the girls didn't. They tell Mulder and Scully there was another woman, and she looks exactly like the dead Sally Eve on the floor. It is creepy as hell. It's a good setup. Yeah, it is. They did a great job in this episode. They did. It's really good. Later, uh, they're talking about the poisoning and and trying to extrapolate what happened without asking any more questions. It looks like the Eves mixed about four ounces of digitalis in each glass, which is the foxglove extract. Mulder says, their own mini Jonestown. Eve 6 said they were prone to suicide. Scully says, it has a sweet flavor. It's probably not even perceptible in soda. Yeah, so they know that. Forecasting. A cop tells them that they're still looking for the other suspect, but have had no luck. And Mulder and Scully decide to take the girls with him. (laughs) The cop says, okay. Whatever. Just like that. That's not even an exaggeration. He's just like that. Okay, whatever. Whatever. He doesn't care. Whatever. As they're driving, the girls are holding hands in the back and tell Mulder they need to use the restroom. So they stop at a diner and Mulder orders four sodas, four diet sodas. The girls say regular at the same time. He changes the order and they go to the restroom. Not just any diner here. This is the 49 Cafe where they serve breakfast 49 hours a day. Is Where did it say that? Huge. It's painted on the side of the building. I hate it. <laughs> it's bad math with whoever owns that place. Ugh. Do not like. No. One girl, it turns out it's Cindy. I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> you figured out which one can act? <laughs> yeah. Okay. For this scene anyway, and then I go back to, the, I guess they're both together the rest of the time. So Cindy sneaks out of the restroom and takes the sodas, two of the sodas, and slips something into the drinks. It's definitely not four ounces of anything. That little <laughs> vial she has, but, you know, we're going to pretend it is. Mulder comes out, asks about the sodas, takes a sip. Both Mulder and Scully mention how sweet their sodas are. Which brings me to, not a conclusion, but a thought. The audience needs to know certain things. Yes. But they're using Mulder and Scully to deliver information to us, and then somehow Mulder and Scully are forgetting that information when they need to. Right. That's something, this might be the first episode that it did that, the only episode that it did that, but it bothered me in this one. Oh, really? Yeah, because they know. They told they told us that this poison is super sweet. And then they're like, oh, my drink is super sweet. Scully, you already suspected these girls of this. That's true. I think maybe with the way that it was cut together, more time has passed, so it's not top of mind. And when you get a fountain soda, sometimes it is more syrupy than other times. So I could see there for a moment being like, oh, huh, this is sweeter than I expected. But I think, yes, with the everything that had happened three hours earlier, it should trigger something. 
Yeah. It's the only thing that bothers me in this episode. Okay. Well, we needed we needed to know that it was sweet, and they both both of them were sweet. As they walk out to the car, Mulder realizes that he left the keys inside. When he goes in to retrieve them, he sees a greenish tinge on the table, and it's a scene where Mulder is tasting evidence. <laughs> yeah, he is. He loves to taste evidence. It's another thing that fans on Twitter like to mention. <laughs> there's there's been the whole threads of Mulder tasting evidence. It's <laughs> Phenomenal. I love it. So I had to point it out when he did it. Nice. He rushes outside and knocks Scully's soda out of her hands. And he says, it's the girls. We just have to get them in the car. And Tina and Cindy run away. They know they've been caught. So here's a side note. Foxglove poisoning most often occurs when sucking the flowers or eating stems, seeds, or leaves from the foxglove plant. The main symptoms include irregular or slow heartbeat, collapse, low blood pressure, or shock. Digitalis glycoside is found in heart medicine. So I wanted to give a little bit of backstory on what this poison is because I think we've all heard of foxglove, but I was curious about what it was and what it would actually do. And they do a pretty good job of following the... It's bright green, what they're using, their their extract, but that's fine. Yeah, that's probably just for TV. Yeah, it's fine. And the symptoms seem to be right. So that's pretty cool. Mulder grabs the girls. Everyone is screaming. A truck driver and his wife, question mark? A male truck driver and then a lady. Unclear. Follow the noise. The truck driver pulls a gun on Mulder and the girls get away. <laughs> pulls a gun. Gets out of his cab with a big old rifle. Yeah. And Mulder says something like, I am the police. I know Scully says that at some point and... The truck driver says, what are they, America's Most Wanted or something? It's just dumb. It's dumb. The girls get away, then Scully is able to get her badge out and say FBI. They walk past him. I wish one of them would have just smacked him across the face. That would have been so great. Or just called him a name. It would have been great. Just kind of like hit him with a glove. (laughs) (laughs) Mulder and Scully ask the waitress, they go inside, if the waitress that they order the sodas from has seen the twin girls that were with them. She says no, but a bus full of school kids just left. And you said, the world's latest field trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's so late. It's, and we're basically in the middle of nowhere. Where were these kids going? Where are they coming back from? <laughs> what time of year is this? Ever, unclear. Everything's unclear. It's just wild. Scully drives off after the bus, and the girls climb out of a boat. Mulder stayed back to snatch them. Yeah, if you're watching, it's clear to us, anyway, the audience. If you're watching, there's only one person in that car. It was good because when that happened the first time, you're like, oh no, why did they leave? (laughs) (laughs) So the girls are taken away somewhere. At the Reardon house, they're talking to Cindy's mom. This is the scene that you needed to remember all that other stuff for. I needed to remember that things are good. No. And everybody's cool. (laughs) No. (laughs) Your memory is garbage. (laughs) IVF is hard. She really, really wanted Cindy. She's very worried that Cindy's gone. Yes. And so they tell Cindy's mom that the girls are at some facility with the Phenomenal Program, which we know is a lie because we know where they're at. (laughs) And there's no program. They're just straightjacketing people. (laughs) We've seen Eve 6. But they're telling her about something. And Cindy's mom says, remember, she's been trying for Cindy for six years. She went through IVF. She has this miracle baby. She's worried about her daughter. All I need to know is she was not my daughter. She never was. What? (laughs) Ah. Yeah. What is that line? It's not her DNA. Oh my gosh. She tears the picture of her husband and her daughter in half and burns the daughter's side in the fireplace. Yeah, that little girl murdered her husband that she tried for six years to have a baby with. Ugh! No! (laughs) 
No, you're gonna keep the evil little girl. Yes, if oh. I created it. You yes. Didn't. You're not saying that she had any involvement. Well, okay, it's not her genetic material. Who cares? There are adopted kids all over the world who are more loved than bio children. No, you're not gonna trick me into making an adoption joke. <laughs> that is that is insensitive. I don't know why that's where your head went. No, no. The answer to that statement is no. She never was. You gave birth to her. You raised her for 8 to 12 years. It's unclear how old these girls are. <laughs> you raised her for 8 years. She's your daughter. You don't just disown that quickly? What? I don't know. Somebody call a psychiatrist for this lady. She needs probably she's probably in shock and she probably needs some talk therapy. Anyway, after she disowns her daughter and now she's living her life as a single lady in her 40s, she's going to go out and explore yeah. the world. She's going to go get her groove back. Go to the Bahamas and meet Tay Diggs. Or I've never seen that movie. I don't know. Back at the cell block, the girls are in their own cells. And Eve Six says, hello. And then we see Eve Six, her door has Eve Six on it. And then Eve Nine and Ten have their names on it. We see a lab-coated woman who goes to the cell doors. Eve Nine says, hello, Eve Eight. Eve 10 says, we've been waiting. And Eve 8 says, how did you know I'd come for you? We just knew. We just knew. And then she turns around and surprise, it's, you know, the same lady that it's been the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the Eves. That's right. And this is why they had to say earlier in the episode that we've never gotten a good look at Eve 6. She looks exactly like the doctor who works here. Weird. Do you have any final bits about this Before I go into the did you know trivia section. Yeah, we have another loose end. I'm actually excited for this because I'd rather not call this a loose end. I'd rather call this a to be continued. I don't know. We we had a resolution with the little girls locked up and then they ruined it by being like, well, they're obviously going to get out. It's another loose end. They're just disappointed. Yeah. Unless they show up again. So we have the not-quite-resolution because of the eaves that are going to obviously break out. But we also have no idea what happened to any of the atoms. None of the atoms showed up in this episode at all. No. Who do you think? Oh! Alan Tudyk. Yes! (laughs) Obviously, Alan Tudyk is going to be one of the atoms. Oh, yes. Bring Alan Tudyk in. All of the atoms. (laughs) Yes. Bring Alan Tudyk in multiple days. Yeah. Yes. I co-sign. All right, so now we're into some of the trivia and the behind-the-scenes information. The episode was pitched to series creator Chris Carter by freelance writers Biller and Brancato under the title of The Girls from Greenwich, with the focus being on genetic experiments conducted on sets of twins. The producers initially looked for twins to play the roles of Tina and Cindy in Los Angeles, but child labor laws made using children from L.A. so difficult, they instead searched locally in Vancouver, finding Erica and Sabrina Crevens. Stupid child labor laws. I'm glad Canada doesn't have crap like that. (laughs) I was wondering if these girls were on some of the other... 90s mainstays like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Ah. Because those are both filmed in Canada also, and they have a lot of crossover. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay, A lot of crossover actors. One of the podcasts that I've been really enjoying is another 90s nostalgia throwback, and it's the Up All Night guys. They are doing Goosebumps right now, and they did Are You Afraid of the Dark, and so that's how I know. Yeah. 
So, hey guys. Now, Brancato said the duo decided to do an X-File with a genetics experiment gone awry, inspired by the boys from Brazil, (laughs) where Nazi scientists create clones of Adolf Hitler while finding their own themes and characterizations to explore such as commenting on human condition, similarly to the Twilight Zone. Whose idea was the boys from Brazil? Uh, Nazis? No, that's that. they didn't create that idea. They took that idea and made a movie out of it. There are people who believe that, <laughs> because, you know, the Nazis were allowed to escape everywhere. Right. Most of them in the United States to work in NASA. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, a lot of them moved to Argentina and Brazil. I lot, did know that. A lot in South America. And there was wild speculation that they had cloned Adolf Hitler. Ugh. And Archer, you know, Dr. Krieger? Yeah. He is a clone of Hitler. Oh my gosh, of course he is. <laughs> Ugh, gross. So let's move away from Nazis. The scenes in the episode set in the roadside diner were filmed in a cafe in White Rock, British Columbia, in case you want to go visit. There is somebody on Twitter that I'm following that's visiting all of the places that X-Files was shot. Oh, wow. So I'm sure that they have, their, it's on their list. That's really cool. The large gravel car park helps it appear very rural in its setting. So apparently it's just like in a town, but it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. And then finally, the plot for Eve was also adapted into a novel for young adults in 1997 by Ellen Stiber. And so I'm, I've am i been trying to find it. It looks like it might be out of print, but I would be interested in reading that just well, to see. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Who are you shipping? Oh, shoot. I totally forgot. Um. I can go first if you want. Oh, I'm shipping the snitch motel manager. <laughs> okay. And Sally Eve, who dies in the motel, because he's obviously got a thing for her. He just hadn't worked up the, the courage to speak with her yet. And... Uh. He meant, that's why he knew that she left alone, because he was like, okay, when she comes back alone, I'm going to talk to her, because it'll be weird if I talk to her in front of her daughter, but I'm curious, I want to get to know this lady, so I'm shipping them. Okay. I am shipping Mrs. Reardon and Eve 8. Oh! Because Eve 8 is going to raise the kids, Mrs. Reardon can come learn to love her daughter. Oh, wow. That was really nice. You haven't done a nice ship in a while. I No, my last one was really nice. For 10? Yeah. Uh, or no, 10 was Fallen Angel. I don't remember my ship for 10. 9. My ship for 9 was really nice. Okay. That was sweet. After all the comments you made about that whole everything, I didn't expect a sweet one this time. <laughs> yeah, after all the jokes that I made that were jokes, yes. God, can't you take a joke? <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you going to survive? Not solve, survive. Oh. All right, I feel like this works for surviving as well. Anytime twins are born, just yeet them into the fucking river. <laughs> Did you say yeet because of that dinosaur video we watched the other day? <laughs> I was just going to not be their dad. <laughs> well, that's not fair. You can't be their dad. I wouldn't want to if I could. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Although, my goodness, I wouldn't just disown my child. Ugh, that one really got to me. Riley hasn't texted me all week, guys. (laughs) 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 Okay, 11 episodes in. All right. We have now lasted as long as Cop Rock. Cop Rock was a musical about the police Ew. in the mid to late 90s, I think. And I want to say it was done by Stephen Bochco, 
who did Hill Street Blues, who did like real cop shows and then did this. I might be totally wrong about that. I didn't look into this at all because it's a cop show. and Ew. Yuck. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah. And <sighs> dagger in the heart, we have now lasted as long as Firefly. Oh, no. Yeah. The episodes that aired. There were three that didn't air, but we've lasted as long as Firefly. Look, that one was better than us. Uh, <laughs> Cult favorite. Yeah. That's sad. Well, it's a really good show. And then there's a movie. and It's absolutely one of my favorite TV shows. And definitely rewatchable, which is nice. Yeah. Well, that's it. I'm looking up Cop Rock on the, on the IMDb. The Musical Adventures of a Police Force. Yeah. What year? Comedy, drama, musical. 4.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, 1990, I believe. Yeah, 1990. It was a one-hour show, which is just too long for... Oh, yeah, for most things. Yes. Let's see. Do you recognize any of these actors? Not one. Oh, Ronnie Cox. Okay, there's one. Ah, and Fondy Curtis, Curtis Hall. I recognize him. Oh, yeah, I recognize him, too. Do you recognize this guy who looks like a mummy? <laughs> yes, Jeffrey Allen Chandler. He played uh, Ray Rodbart on Cop Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he looks like? Is that his character? <laughs> that's just what he looks That's his headshot for everything? Wow. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> CCH Pounder. All right. What an interesting thing that happened. I want to know. <laughs> do you think that there's Cop Rock musical on Spotify? Oh, I hope not. But we should end the episode. <laughs> Hold on, let me just tell you. Musical cop show. There's a lot of stuff about it. That looks like a podcast. That looks like a podcast. Yeah, this is all podcasts. Okay. Ennio Morricone. And you can go out on the music. Nope. Kill that. Cause, oh yeah, I found. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Here's a song from Cop Rock. Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on T Public. We have a thing. You should buy it. It's pretty neat. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D A I V E R E E D. You can email us. That's a thing that people do in the 2020s at thecastfiles at gmail.com. That's the with two E's. Music by Hal Six. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O O K A A R T. Bye-bye.